for moms. Um, did your mom ever build your character? Did you ever have one of those experiences where mom <clears throat> may or may not have used the willow switch to build a little character? Well, we've, we've, I, that certainly never happened to me, I'm sure. I remember going out and having to cut a switch every once in a while. Not always the funnest moments. But moms, where would we be without our moms? Well, we wouldn't be. Let's just start with that, huh? Uh, in times of discomfort, we are tested. In times of discomfort, we are tested. And uh, our character gets revealed by things when we're under pressure. What's really in our heart and what our character really is starts to come out. Uh, the scripture often uses the idea of, of the purification of gold and when you heat gold up so much that the impurities rise to the surface and you're able to scrape them off from that point. You can't see them when it's not hot, but when it gets hot, you start to see those impurities come to the surface, and the Bible uses that to describe our situation quite a bit of the time, that under pressure, our character starts to come out. I want to start with James chapter 1 this morning, verses 2 through 4. You ever hear that we're turning to the book of James and you go, oh. Those of you that are familiar with your Bibles do maybe a little bit. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Allow perseverance to finish its work so that you may, may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Probably something our moms all wished for us at one point or another, that, that we would become mature and, and our parents raise us in such a way that we won't Hopefully our character is developed, and, and, and in times of trial, we will persevere and become more mature. Life takes us through a lot of trials, some very deeply personal trials, some very public. Perhaps you, I mean, all of us have stories of trials of some kind in our life, whether it be issues we struggle with ourselves internally, whether it be the loss of a loved one or the struggle with our health, struggle with our mental and emotional health, all those battles and trials that rage sometimes in our lives. We all have stories of those. Maybe you can think, you can think of some of those stories in your own life where you came under trial. Some of them are very public. I think of things like World War II, the Holocaust, the Great Depression, that era, I think of World War I and how it all broke out and what the world was going through in those times. I think of uh, the persecution of the Christians in the early church days and they get scattered throughout Asia Minor and it launched the gospel into the nations. All those trials that happened to groups of people also. We go through trials and sometimes we have scars from those trials. But the Bible encourages us here that when we encounter those things in our life, to actually consider it a joy. Now, that's easy from an idealistic point of view to go, yeah, that's a good idea, until you're actually faced with having to do that in your life. 
and you're faced with a trial or a tribulation or something you go through and say, how could I possibly consider this a joy at all, that something so difficult would be going on in my life? But we know that God has a greater good in mind. I was watching Lord of the Rings with my kids this last week, and what would a good, I mean, it's not really a good message unless you have a Lord of the Rings quote in there somewhere, right? Some of you are like, you, be quiet. Well, there's a scene in one of the movies where Gandalf is, the, the wise old wizard is scolding Frodo, the young little hobbit, and one of the things that he says is, even the wisest can't see all ends. Even the wisest can't see all ends. Because Frodo has gotten to a position where he's judging someone else, he's criticizing someone else, he was wishing something evil on somebody else, and the wise old wizard steps in and says, you can't be the one to decide their part in the story. You can't see the end. And uh, I think that's an interesting bit of wisdom when we consider the trials we go through because we don't know what God is doing to shape our lives when we go through trials and bring us into a place of maturity. It is His goal that as Christ comes into our lives and we, we invite Him into our lives, we follow Him, we have faith in Him, there's a transformational power that begins to engage in our lives and God begins to transform us. And sometimes that transformation is very difficult and painful, but God wants us to become mature, complete, not lacking anything. And the Scripture is very clear that He has not been reluctant to use trials and tribulations to do that. That is, God will do that. Just like mom used the willow switch once in a while to build a little of your character, God will do the same. And we say, that's not fair or that's not loving, but even the wisest can't see all ends. We don't necessarily know what God is up to. Think of a story in your life. Maybe you or somebody else were in a trial and enduring something, but they rose to the occasion. We use that phrase. They rose to the occasion. They found themselves in the middle of something, and they step up to the challenge. And they overcome, and they persevere, and they're better in the end for it. And we probably all have stories where we did and stories where we didn't. But we need to consider it pure joy when we're facing trials. We've been talking about Jesus. We've talking, actually, we've been talking about the Word of God. And then we're looking more now into Jesus coming on the scene and fulfilling the Word of God. He is the Word of God. He's the culmination of it, the fulfillment of it. God's Word is alive and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. It, you can't separate it from God. Once He's spoken it, it reflects true of His own character. It's connected to Him. And there's a little bit of a mystery there, and it can be quite... You could spend a lifetime contemplating, how is it that Jesus is the Word? <clears throat> we took a look at Jesus last week, some of His teachings. Teachings of turning the other cheek. Teachings of blessing, not cursing those that are opposed to you, your enemies. We even talked about how do we even know who our enemies are. At times we've talked in the past about your enemies don't have bodies. We wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers and rulers and heavenly places. And so all those things start to come into light when we look at things that Jesus was teaching us about how to operate in life, asking ourselves some of those good and difficult questions. Who would Jesus be to someone else? If I have the opportunity to influence someone else's life, I have to ask myself, who would Jesus be if he were in my shoes right now? What would Jesus be saying? What would he be speaking? What would he be doing? 
How would he be treating other people? How would he be reacting to the circumstances? What type of an attitude would he have? We have lots of stories in the Bible to help us see Jesus' character. He is our example of maturity. He is our example of someone who faced his trials and tribulations and embraced them for the greater good, and he persevered and now sits at the right hand of God and is worthy of our worship and our praise. We look to him as our example of maturity. I want to start in John chapter 5 today. And I'm going to be uh, in verse 37. I just want to give some context out of uh, verse 18 is really where it's summarized. But here's what's going on. Jesus has gone to Jerusalem for the feast, one of the feasts. And it is the Sabbath. And if you know anything about the Jewish culture at the time, the Sabbath was uh, a day where you did not work. It was a day where if you did work, you were subject and liable to judgment. And it was always a controversy, it seemed, what that really entailed. Well, Jesus on the Sabbath is walking by a pool and he sees a man who's been crippled for 38 years. Imagine that, 38 years of being crippled. And he heals the man. And the religious leaders of the time become angry with Jesus. They're angry that he worked on the Sabbath. They're angry that he did something. They're more angry that he worked on the Sabbath than they are amazed at the fact that he healed this man who had been crippled for 38 years. What an... Sometimes it's interesting when... It's easy from the outside in a situation like that to criticize the Pharisees, but whenever we read the stories about these people, we have to see the word, like Jason taught us a few weeks ago, as a mirror and reflect in our own selves. Where am I in this story? And they were angry that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. So despite this miraculous thing that took place, (laughs) a miracle... They were criticizing him, and in response, Jesus offers a lot of important evidence and perspective of who he is, what his authority is, that he is the Son of God. He talks about uh, John the Baptist bearing witness to the fact that he is. He talked about the miracles themselves bearing witness that he is the Christ. He talks about his Father as a witness, and he talks about the Word as a witness. And this is where I want to pick up the story in John Chapter 5, verse 37. You search the scriptures. Do I have one slide right before this, Carter? Did I include earlier? Yes. I I, want to include this scripture right before. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe in uh, in the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. There's an interesting uh, whole dialogue here that that Jesus has in this entire section where he's defending his authority and explaining uh, his evidence of himself being the Christ. But he's getting after them now and, and saying, You've never seen the Father, you've never heard His voice, but He has borne witness about me, but His word is not in your heart. And He goes on to say, why? Because you don't come to me. 
You're not receiving me. I am the fulfillment of the word. I think we can get in this situation. Actually, let's just start in that first verse where he talks about abiding. His word does not abide in you. What does it mean to abide? It lives. It resides. The scripture often talks about it in a, in a sense of fruitfulness when Jesus is talking about the vine and the branches, a constant connection that is bringing forth life and fruitfulness, this sense of something abiding in its place and producing what it's supposed to produce. And he's saying that word does not really abide in you because you're not receiving me. This fruitful connection isn't there. And it's an interesting thing for him to say because these guys knew the word, didn't they? These Jews knew the word in and out and back and forth. They studied it their whole lives. And yet somehow they were missing something about it. They were rejecting the one that it pointed to. They were rejecting the one that was the fulfillment of it. And Jesus is starting to get after them for this. And then he says this interesting phrase, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. I think when we're, we're interpreting this or we're trying to understand this, we need to realize this is not a dichotomy here. He's not saying one or the other. He's not saying that you're not going to find answers in the Scripture. But he's saying, you've searched them looking for the eternal life, and I am the one that it's bearing witness about. I'm the one that it's pointing you towards for that eternal life. It is bearing witness about me. It's pointing to me. I am the fulfillment of that. John in his gospel uh, uses this terminology and illustration quite frequently and in the end of his gospel, as we talked about a few weeks ago, he does make the point that these have been written that you would believe. Why did John write this gospel later after the other three had been written towards the end of his life? So that people would believe that Jesus was the Christ. And so he frames a lot of his gospel in that context. But the Jews had all of this information at their disposal, much like we do, and yet failed to recognize who was the Savior. And what it meant to reach out to Jesus and lay hold of what he was teaching and who he was in his time. I think there's some interesting thoughts in there. I think one of them that a lot of teachers will teach out of this is that there's never enough evidence. Jesus has presented evidence of John the Baptist. He's presented evidence of miracles. I mean... That's one of the things sometimes we just kind of get numb to it when you read the New Testament Gospels. But for all the miracles Jesus did, how did they not believe? How did they not believe? And yet all the miracles don't change people's minds. The Word has to be in them. There is a faith factor here. There was the testimony of John the Baptist. There's the testimony of the Scriptures. There's the testimony of all the miracles. And it's not enough. So Jesus is presenting evidence... He's not asking people to believe just blindly, but he's presenting all this evidence that he is the Christ, and yet their minds are not changed. John chapter 3, when Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the middle of the night, he starts out his conversation by saying, we know that you are from God. Nobody could do what you're doing if he wasn't from God. So some did, but interestingly, the people that knew the scriptures the most did not accept the Christ. They'd somehow become self-righteous in their knowledge and didn't want to give up their own power or something. I don't know what all of their motives were. 
But they rejected him. The fulfillment of the scripture that they had been studying. Life does not come from the information, but comes from the one, Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of all that information. So we re- when we read the scripture, it's not that they are magic words, it's that they're God's words. It's not that there's some secret, mysterious power other than God behind them, it's God. And it points us to God. The scripture should lead us to God himself right to the feet of Jesus, to that relational aspect of who God is. For all the information they had, they rejected the relationship that God was trying to restore in mankind. And again, we pause and go, how does this reflect towards me? How do I look into this word and and look into that mirror and see, where am I in this? And I think I'm probably as guilty as anybody about this kind of thing, but I mean, I love the information. I love, I love learning things. I like to study. I like to look at the history, and uh, a lot of times I can get really busy with the stuff, and the relationship starts to dwindle. That connection with God. What is a relationship with God? It's prayer. It's quiet time in the scripture. It's now that the sun is coming out on these May mornings, it's sitting out on your porch and soaking in some rays and just thanking God and praying and letting his spirit work inside you, speak to you. God speaks to us. He's speaking all the time. And his spirit is encouraging each one of us, even specifically and individually. But we have to take the time to listen. We have to take the time to hear. Because everything in the world around us is very noisy. Really noisy. Do you agree? Wow, it's loud. And it can be really hard to hear that quiet, spiritual, powerful voice of our Creator inside leading us and speaking to us through His Word and through His Spirit. We are meant to find ourselves at the feet of Jesus in all trials and circumstances and situations. The Scripture points us to Him. I want to look at another story in Luke chapter 10. I don't like to tell this story very often because I'm always guilty in this one. Maybe you will see yourself in it as well. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him, welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. What a perfect picture. I can just, I can visualize that. I love the description. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. All right, moms. Do I need to say anything else? I maybe made that point. Yeah, we've, and dads too. We, we all end up in this situation where like, there's a lot of work to do. There we have guests over. Clean the house. They're on the way. We got food to serve. Entertaining to do. And I can hear my wife's voice from upstairs right now. Come up here and help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. 
Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Ugh. So often I, in my quiet time, and when I'm kind of wrestling, and oh, so often the Spirit brings this story back to my mind. Martha, Martha, are you being Martha? Like I should have probably change my middle name to Martha. Some of you should too. Because we can get really caught up in the serving. Now, I don't think this story is meant to tell us that we don't have to do anything. I mean, I could manipulate it that way and maybe try and get away with it, but my wife wouldn't let me. No, there is work to do. There's lots of work to do. The Scripture's very clear. We're to serve one another. We're to work hard. We're to lay down our lives on behalf of others. All those things take effort. And Martha was working very hard. But Mary was at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus points this out. This is the good portion. <laughs> Isn't Jesus really our source of life? Isn't he really the source of helping us with our attitudes and our trials and tribulations and how to handle situations? And Isn't he the one that loves us? Doesn't he love us whether we're serving or not? Ooh, that's a hard one for some of us. Martha, Martha, you're worried about so many things. <clears throat> I think when we think about our trials and the things we go through and our process towards maturity, I think this is a great illustration of we must find ourselves at the feet of Jesus every day with every bit of our lives. And even in our busyness of serving, whether it's hopefully good things, doing serving in good ways, but sometimes we get caught up in our career world and those kind of things, we start serving uh, those things, we've got to remind ourselves, we've got, to, we've got to go back to the good portion, the source of life, the one, the fulfillment of the word. Looking back at the passage in John where it is them that testify about me. Can we just go back and look at that real quick, Carter? Uh, the last verse in John. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. If we really want to have life, we have got to go to Jesus. What does that look like in your life? When I say those words, go to Jesus, what do you think of? You know, really at the end of the day, this isn't complicated. We like to make it complicated sometimes. But it really is, Lord, here I am. Lord, thank you for this day. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Lord, guide me in this decision. Lord, I pray for that situation. Whatever, it's a dialogue. It's an interaction. There's a back and forth in your relationship with God. But we have to take the time to do that. And in that is life. It can be hard sometimes when we're going through trials to find any life in them. We're just, sometimes the picture that I always get is like an engine without oil. All the mechanics in the room went, ugh. Just that grinding of metal. And you know what happens when there's no oil left. It just gets hot, and it basically fuses together, and it seizes up, and it, it doesn't work. And it takes a lot of work to get that engine working again once it's seized up. And sometimes when we're going through trials, we get that way on the inside, there's all the gears churning, and there's, we're going, and we're going, but man, it's starting to get hot because there's no oil. There's no spirit inside of us from God. There's no life from Him. 
There's no time with him refreshing us, renewing us. Our attitude starts to stink. There's like fumes coming out the exhaust, right? Things are starting to burn up. How do we adjust? How do we persevere and come to maturity in a process like that? We've got to go to the feet of Jesus. We've got to get that refreshing from him. We've got to get that life from Jesus. I'm sure many of us can identify with Martha's situation. Distracted with many things. Serving good things, necessary things, things we need to do. Things that are right and good. But then neglecting to take the time to be with Jesus. Anxious and troubled. It makes me think of John chapter, or I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 6. We were looking at chapter 5 last week, but Matthew chapter 6 has... The passage where Jesus says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And he encourages us to look at things in nature and and look, God does provide for people. How much more, if, if, if the sparrows don't sow and they don't reap, yet God provides for them, how much more valuable are you that God would provide for you, that God would protect and lead you. It's not an encouragement to be foolish. Say, well, I'm going to drive my car 90 miles an hour down this frontage road because God will watch over me. I think a lot of us, we behave that way sometimes and call it faith. That's not faith. But when we're honoring God and finding, our t- finding ourselves at His feet, learning from Him, letting Him adjust our attitude, let us reflect who He is. Because that's what we're doing. When, when the world sees us, they're supposed to see Him. When the world sees the way we treat each other or we treat the world around us, they're supposed to see Him. But we're not really capable of doing that in our humanness. We're too messed up. Our attitudes and our opinions and our sin and the things that have broken us make us unable to really do that unless we've been spending time Right where Mary was, at the feet of Jesus, hearing him, absorbing what he's teaching, and letting that transform us that we can reflect it to the world around us. One thing is really necessary. Let's go ahead there, Carter, to uh, one more. Oh, I'm sorry. Go back to uh, Luke chapter 10. Need to do, okay, forward one more. And one more. Sorry, Carter, you're doing a great job. This is my fault. I'm a hard guy to follow from the sound booth because I bounce around too much. One thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. Sometimes if we stop and think about it, it's like we've, we have a tendency to make lots of things necessary. But one thing, one thing is necessary. Jesus is pointing out here. I mean, these are the words of Jesus himself. Anxious about many things, and there are many things, but one thing is necessary. And pointing to Mary as that example. Finding herself at the feet of Jesus. Okay, Carter, we can go to Hebrews now. I know you're excited about this one. In Hebrews chapter 11, it's talking about all the people of faith, last week we 
pulled a scripture out of Hebrews chapter 11 that talks about Abraham looking forward to a city that was built by God. Looking forward to a time ahead. Even though he never saw it in his lifetime, he lived for it all the way to the end. And it goes on to tell stories of other people of faith, how they lived believing in what was coming. They understood where their citizenship was. They understood what they were looking forward to. And they did it with faith. And then it goes on in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. In other words, he's saying we have all of these examples of people who have attested to this Christ and this future hope for us. Let us also, also like them, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, doesn't it? All that weight, the weight that Martha was carrying, the anxieties that people carry in the world. And we look at our circumstances, we're just, it's this weight. Let's lay it aside, the things that are hindering us. Or our sin that we get trapped in. The ways we operate that are in opposition to God's nature. Let's lay them aside and run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, again, the key, the one who is the source of life. When Mary chose the better portion, it was Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. <coughs> Excuse me. For who, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. <laughs> you read the story of the cross and you look at Jesus praying in the garden and the arrest and everything that he went through, and you go, joy? The joy of hanging on a cross, going through a trial of the utmost kind? There was a joy in that? Yeah, he persevered in the trial, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus persevered. And he did so, so well, so humbly, so graciously, leaving such great messages for us to study about how then we should live, about that example that he set for us in the way that he lived his life. We look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter. I think some translations say author. There's a perseverance being worked out in you right now. There's a faith that God is wanting to develop in you right now. There's a maturity that God wants to bring you to right now. Not your neighbor, not the person sitting next to you, you. What is that? And when we look in the scripture and we look in that mirror and we look at the life of Christ and we're finding ourselves at the feet of, the, feet of Jesus, what is he guiding us towards? What is he growing in you? How is he challenging you to persevere in whatever trial you might be facing in your life? Would you stand, please? Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for laying down your life that we would live. Lord, we didn't deserve it. We didn't deserve it, Lord. And help us to have the same kind of eyes for the world around us. So often we look and say, the world doesn't deserve you, and we didn't either. <laughs> Lord, help us be a reflection of your grace and your love and your mercy and your faithfulness in whatever trials we find ourselves, whether it be the whatever public arena we find ourselves caught up in a trial or in our own inner self, the, our soul that is broken from the scars of life and corrupted in many ways, Lord, you breathe life and transformation into us. I pray right now, God, that you would be breathing life and transformational power into your children in here today. Father, that each one would be motivated to pursue you even further, to run that race. And it's an interesting race that's not run in a striving that Martha was doing. It's a race that's won at the feet of Jesus. An effort, uh, an effort made on our knees. Father, I pray that, the, that your spirit would be filling each one with a sense of peace, a sense of who you are. Lord, that, that we might reflect who you are to the world around us. Not just our soulish selves, but the, the spirit that's inside of us that you've given us would be what shines through regardless of the circumstances, whatever situation we find ourselves, whatever our relational conditions with others. God, I pray for great breakthrough in each one's life as they draw nearer to you relationally. God, I pray that that um, would be an adjutant in people, this constant reminder this week of to, to reach out to you, to find time with you, to be asking you what you think and what your attitude is in these things. Lord, I pray that you would encourage and strengthen the church. I pray that it would be unified and encouraged for the cause of the gospel on this planet. Father, strengthen and encourage each one, I pray today. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Mother's Day. Amen. Thank you, JR. Thank you so much for joining us and uh, being here to celebrate with us this morning. We're grateful that you're here. We're grateful for your mother. And 